Mr. Lam is in uh, somewhere in the midst of Vietnam. I think he's in Ho Chi Minh, but I can't remember. He might be up in a mountainous region of Vietnam, actually visiting a student who lives up there who was originally from, I guess, originally from there, but uh, was in L.A. We met him in L.A. and he moved out there probably six, seven years ago. <clears throat> and so whenever Lam goes back, sometimes he'll try and get out to see him. It's um, mileage wise, it's not that far, but traveling in third world country, it's, uh, you know, two lane roads, the roads are not good. <clears throat> and so it can be uh, basically a day drive to get out to see him. So anywhere. So Chris is out in Southeast Asia somewhere. He'll be back next month. As a stand in for Chris, we've got Wen, so he'll be joining us <clears throat> a couple times during the day today. Um, Pretty much the same drill as we've done before. I'll rant for a little bit. Uh, today's there's a lot of talk. We got a lot of chart stuff, but it's a lot of talking. <clears throat> but before I get into it, um, let me share a lesson that I learned about five. In fact, it wasn't about. It was five years ago. It was over a, I don't know, six maybe eight week period. <clears throat> Some of you have heard the story before. It bears repeating. Um, some of you have never heard it, so I hope you pick up on the lesson here. <clears throat> Pardon me. In 2018, we lost a gentleman by the name of Charles Resnick. And you can look him up. You, you know, Don't believe me, but Charles Resnick, don't look him up now. Don't get distracted, but jot it down. Go look him up. If you weren't in class five years ago, uh, you probably didn't know him unless you happened to have needed surgery. Um, but when he was in class... He was a fixture there for probably four years, I think, something like that. Every time I did a session, he showed up. <clears throat> and carrying that from this point forward, now he's got two adult kids, and they're in class today. One's a lawyer, one's a CPA. The oldest one's, I think he's about 36. The youngest one is about 34. In fact, it's her birthday today, so Leah, happy birthday. And what's cool is that they're carrying on what dad started to teach them. <clears throat> a quick background on him. He was an orthopedic surgeon in Southern California, I think in the range of like 40-ish years, you know, in the high 30s, 40 years, something like that. He worked, uh, I don't know if the whole time was there, but his final years were working at a hospital in Pasadena called Huntington Memorial. And he was chief of staff there. So highly regarded to be in that position. I, before I met him, I didn't know anything about Huntington Memorial. I'd heard of it, but it's to me, it was just a hospital in L.A. I didn't know. I was not in the medical field. I didn't understand the importance or significance of it. If you're unfamiliar with Huntington Memorial, the best description I can give it without speaking about its medical care, but just the first impression you have when you walk up to it, if you've ever been in a Ritz-Carlton hotel, that was my first impression or first what reminded me of that when I walked into the lobby of Huntington Hospital. Literally marble floors, marble columns. I'm like, wow, this is a hotel. This is not a hospital. And that's where he worked. He was very, very highly regarded. He was one of the top hand surgeons in Southern California, if not all of California. But you wouldn't know any of that and you wouldn't guess that if you saw him in class. In the last couple of years in class, he was very, very easy to spot because he was in a wheelchair. He had diabetes, and he had fallen a couple of years before that. And when he fell, he broke a bone in his leg. And I assume because of the diabetes, it took a longer time to heal. So he was wearing a cast or something on his foot. And it was a lower leg and ankle area. He was wearing it for much longer than most people would. 
But then when he had his leg in a cast, he fell again and he broke his other leg. So he was in two casts for a period of time. Now, here's what's the important point. He still did surgery. He would hobble in on crutches and he would do the surgery. He was the, I guess, the surgical embodiment, if you will, of the book, No Excuses. And when he died, I sent a funeral announcement to the class, just letting people know that he had passed. And a bunch of people sent me notes back and they were pretty much of the same message. And they all said something to the effect of, he didn't realize how much he inspired me, not me, Chris, but me, the student, how much he inspired them to come to class because they realized that if a guy in a wheelchair is coming into class, and clearly with two broken legs in a wheelchair is coming into class, then they certainly can deal with little, any little nagging aches and pains or annoyances or traffic or whatever other meaningless crap that they're dealing with. And that inspired them to keep coming to class. So going back to 2018, early in the year, he had fallen again. If I remember correctly, I, be, I believe he injured his neck and they were going to do a fusion for like, I'm not even sure what that, that's what I've got in my notes, but doing a fusion on a neck bone. And as part of the pre-op that they did in early May, they did an MRI. And when they did that, they saw a number of cancer spots throughout his body, including his lungs, but he was not showing any symptoms. And they discovered that it was cancer of the adrenals, of the adrenal glands, which is very, very rare. A diagnosis like that means the person could have as little as maybe six weeks. They might have six months, but it's very, very rare to see them go anywhere close to 18 months. And I went to see him a number of times during what ended up being the last ballpark six weeks of his life. And I learned a huge life lesson that I got to see sitting at his bedside. And I remember this, the second time I went to see him, this is just more of a fun story for me, but trying to give you an idea of the, of the person and the, uh, the dynamic, I guess. But I, it was maybe the second time I went to see him. And I, by the way, I'm sure his kids will appreciate the memory. So Lee and Ruben, you'll smile at this. <clears throat> but I remember walking in his room and I walked into the middle of a bark fest between he and his wife. And I know his wife and they were barking about something. And I almost turned around and walked out. And she just, you know, she waved me in. And he was barking about, it looked like he had a, for lack of a better word, like a CPAP machine on his face. And I don't know what the official word is, but you know, a CPAP for people that snore, it's this device that goes on and it forces air into your lungs. And he had something like that, the, you know, in my idiot's view of the, my idiot's knowledge of the medical profession, something like that on his face. And it was helping because he had lung issues. And it was clear that he did not want to wear it. And he was barking at his wife and she was just, you know, she'd worked in the medical field her entire career. She met him actually during surgery and she didn't take any of his crap. And so when I walked in, she looked at me in a high hello, give a hug. And she said, hey, uh, how long are you going to stay? <coughs> I was like, oh, no. I said, God, if you need me to leave, I can come back. Or I can come back tomorrow, whatever you need. She said, no, 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 no. I want. And before I before she could say it, I said, but if you need to go run errands, said, if you want to go home and shower, take a nap, sleep all night, if you want, I'm happy to spend the night. I can sleep right here. She smiled. She goes, no, no, no. We're, she goes, I just got to run some errands and do a couple things, but I'll be back in an hour or two, something like that. 
said, no problem, right? So she walks over, gives him a kiss on the forehead. And it's like, I can see this. I've replayed this movie so many times that it makes me laugh. Um, but she walked out the door. Before the door was closed, I had barely started to move a chair by his bedside. And he growls like, take this thing off. And he had a really, you know, deep growly voice. Little, he's probably about five foot seven, five foot eight. You know, hands that I have pretty good sized hands. His hands were massive. Thank God he wasn't a proctologist. Um, but anyway, just these massive hands and a very deep growly voice. Take this thing off. And I walked over. I was like, what did you say? Take it off. And I'm like, uh, are you sure? Take the goddamn thing. <laughs> and so I, okay, you sure? You just kind of nodded. So I reached over, you know, the back of his head. And I've never, I don't know what to do around a hospital. And I pull it over the, uh, from the back of his head forward. And it's like a, you know, elastic band holding it on there. And he squeaks a little bit because I pulled his hair. And I finally get it off of his face and get it drops on his chest. And he closes his eyes, goes, thank you. And I said, are you sure it's going to be okay? He goes, it's fine. Right. And he just, he's got his eyes closed. Um, thank you so much. And it doesn't take, I don't know, maybe three or four breaths. So what's that? 15, 20 seconds, something like that. And all of a sudden you hear, you know, just this incredible <laughs> deep breathing. And I looked at him and I said, are you okay? I don't think so. I go, shit. I said, you asshole. I said, you're, come on, we got to put this thing back on. That would be smart. <laughs> and so they're cursing him. It's like, you ass. I said, your wife isn't even in the elevator yet. It's going to hit the news that, uh, you know, distinguished hand surgeon is murdered in hospital by some incompetent buffoon while his wife's not even in, not out of the elevator. And so I'm able to, you know, it took a couple of seconds and I'm starting to freak out, but finally get it back on his face. He takes a couple of breaths and he opens his eyes. Oh, I'm fine. Right. And I had such a good laugh about that, but I cursed. I was like, you know, you're an ass. So you put me in a situation. I don't know what to do. How am I supposed to explain to nurses that I'm like, what's keeping you breathing? And so we sat there and he kind of laughed about it too. And literally it was less than a minute. I'd started to tell a story about you guys, you know, whatever kind of nutty antic story that I hear from a student and the door opens up and somebody walks in the room and it was a nurse. I'm sure she worked at the hospital and little Filipino lady. I can picture her in my mind. If I saw her today in the hospital, I would recognize her. And she walked in very, very deferential. And it was, it was almost like she was apologetic for entering his room. And it was like she was visiting the king or, you know, the pope or some religious sanctuary. And she was teary-eyed. And she walked up to him and she grabbed his hand. And she said, Dr. Resnick, I'm so sorry that you have just a little time left. We had such, I had such great experiences with you and doing this. And it was all that she was sorry that he had a little runway left. And she was there for a couple of minutes and she let go of his hand. She said, God bless you. And she walked out, but she didn't turn his back, her back to him. She walked out backwards, looking the whole time, almost like what you would see someone would do in medieval times as they were leaving the king or the queen. And I, when she walked out, I kind of looked at him sideways, you know, a, little, a little odd, like a puzzled look. And then he looked at me and then the door opened again.
and somebody else came in and they did basically the same thing. And they came up to him and they said, oh, I'm so sorry. How sorry they were that he had only a little runway left. <clears throat> and when that person walked out, I looked at him and I said, this may sound wrong. I said, you know me, I stick my foot in my mouth a lot, but I always mean it with good intention. Is it just me? I said, before they get in here, we were laughing and regaling, you know, about me being annoyed at you. We're laughing about it. And they came in and within a couple of minutes, they sucked all the positive out of the room. And he said, never forget, you're right. It's not fun when they come in. And I thought, wow. And not, and so I sat there and I went back, you know, just telling fun stories, whatever it might have been, trying to make him smile. It was easy to do. And then while we're sitting there a little bit later, <clears throat> this guy comes barging in the room, you know, like he owned the place. Very loud, boisterous. And he walks in, he goes, hey, Chucky, how you doing? Nobody calls this guy Chucky. It's all Dr. Resnick. I'm probably one of the few people who was allowed to call him Charles. Um, and he stood there and he walked up and he kissed him on the head. What ends up, he was an anesthesiologist that Resnick worked with regularly. And he came in and he sat down and he started talking about how much Resnick had accomplished. And they were talking about very certain, or not keep they, he was telling about various surgeries that they remembered. And he made it a point to compliment Res or Charles on both of his kids. One's a lawyer, one's a CPA. And, you know, they, they told the joke that Charles told me all the time. He goes, yep, this family, we got the Jewish trifecta. We got a doctor, a lawyer, and a CPA. We got all three of them for the Jews. <clears throat> and this guy went on and he, he told Resnick, you know, how proud he was of his incredible wife. And then I remember specifically, they taught, he told him about one story, remembering some number of years ago, they'd gotten a call at two in the morning. Had, I don't know if the anesthesiologist was on call, but they rousted Resnick. He had to drive into the hospital. Some kid had had an accident on a motorcycle and had not quite severed his hand, but it was held together with flesh. The bug, clean break probably would need to be amputated. And they were able to save that kid's hand. And so he would go in there and talk about all these great accomplishment things and things that they had done. And it was cool because his words lightened the mood of the room. I think I, if I remember, I think I saw him four times before he passed in that six week period. And that guy was there every time that I was there. It wasn't a time I didn't see it, I didn't see him. And every time he was there, he left <clears throat> the room brighter than it had been when he got there. And so I've got a, a simple request, I guess is the way to say it, but it's a really sincere one. And it's really simple. <clears throat> Excuse me. At one point in our life, just one, many of us are going to be on that bed. You want to think of it that way. Not to be a downer, but it's real. But while we only have one point of those, we're going to have many times in life where you're going to get to visit someone who's in that situation when they're at that, at their one point in life. They already know the end of the runway is closer than the beginning. They don't need to hear how sorry you are that their runway is short. Here's what I urge you to do instead. Leave the room brighter when you leave than it was when you got there. You all have that ability. 
you all will have that opportunity. And, you know, on behalf of the person that's lying there that I don't even know, you may not even know who it's going to be. I promise you they will appreciate it. Please, please do that. <clears throat> so what do we want to talk about today in class? So I look back through my notes. In 2019, sorry, let me grab some water real quick. The topics to talk about in June, contemporary events, were one of either Biden, Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, or Trump, right? They were trying to figure out who was going to be the Democrat nominee for president, <clears throat> excuse me, in the 2020 election. In the 2020 class in March or in, in uh, June, the topics were COVID and Trump and who would be the Democratic nominee. And by the way, there was zero mention of Kamala. She was already out of the presidential race, had been out a year before because nobody voted for her in the primary. And she was a very late ad addition to the ticket with Biden. But it certainly wasn't because of her popularity in the primaries. Now today, or at least in the last few days, excuse me, the discussion in the media is either inflation or it's China-US relations or it's inflation, maybe gun control and Ukraine, right? And I guess, you know, real recently got the, the submersible, the Titanic thing. What's interesting, if you go back in time and I, I don't care if you like Trump. I don't care if you hate the man. I, it doesn't matter. But it's really, really important to notice something. And I saw that when he was in office, you saw this. And then when they boot, when he when he left, and they booted him off of Twitter. It's funny. You never saw the media say a word about him. Not a single word. They didn't bash him anymore. They didn't say anything. It was like he had died. And then when he started to do his whatever thing he was doing to get back in social media, and once that became apparent, suddenly the, the flood of media articles came out. And that was fascinating to me. It proven, it was another example of what I've been saying all along. <clears throat> and there's something very alarming about that. You gotta be aware of it. And again, I don't care if you hate the guy or love the guy. Imagine you were, having, you were witnessing this in another country. And whether you thought that person was a brilliant, a genius, or you thought he was an idiot. I don't care. It doesn't matter. We're in a country that's supposed to have freedom of the press. And it used to be you would see articles from both perspectives. Right? Someone that likes them, someone that doesn't like them. That's fine. I don't care what your perspective. It doesn't matter. But at least you would see articles from both sides. And we're not seeing that today. That's really, really alarming in a country that's supposed to be free and have freedom of the press. You want to be aware of that, right? Wake up, open your eyes, open your minds, right? Something isn't right. Because you, you, you should be very, very alarmed that multiple viewpoints are not being discussed. I was in the pool a couple weeks ago. That probably two in the afternoon. And there was a lady a couple lanes over, I don't know, 50, 60, something like that. If she was my age, I definitely looked better. 
<laughs> Let's just say it that way. Um, and she was doing her laps, you know, on a kickboard or something like that. And I'm just freestyling back and forth. And I stopped and I took a break for a couple of seconds. And some guy had walked in again, we're at a gym. Some guy walked in, he was sitting downstairs. And I heard him start talk about Trump. And they were both fans. And they were talking pro stuff, whatever they were saying. And then I probably was breathing heavy and they both glanced over at me. And I made a comment and I said, hey, can I just give a perspective for you? I'm like, yeah. And I said, it's pretty clear um, who you're in favor of, which is awesome. I said, I don't disagree with you. But even if I did disagree with you, what is funny to me is that you both are standing here talking to each other about how strong your opinion is for the guy. I said, but I already know how both of you are going to vote. Why the hell are you wasting your breath talking to each other? He looked at me. I said, there's a lot of people that maybe that you could get to sway. And I said, there's other people that may sway to their opinion too. But you got to talk with them, not talk at them. You got to talk with them. So it's something to think about. And put on my goggles and went and kept swimming. There's got to be dialogue, right? It starts with freedom of the press. But we've got to have dialogue amongst each other. Just something to think about. You got to be aware. Um, what else you got? The big thing is just open your eyes. You'll see the same thing in the markets. I'll twist it around to the stock market. There's going to be a big down day or maybe even a few down days. And the media and quote unquote, you know, kind of leaders, if you will, on the news, they'll either come out and say, oh, my God, the world's going to end. Or they're going to come out and say, oh, nothing to be alarmed about. Right, and you hear it with Kramer regularly. But you need to, not that you shouldn't listen to Kramer, listen to Kramer to get stock names, names you haven't heard of before. What he thinks about the market is irrelevant. I had a note from a student last couple of weeks. Um, he said, hey, Kramer said something about, uh, R I can't remember what it was, RSI on a chart or something like that. What's he talking about? I send him a note back. It's like, I have no idea. I don't know what stock. I don't know what time frame. I don't know what any kind of anything. And then I, I, I sent the note and I thought, I better call him because that may not have come out right. And I know the guy well. He's, you know, he, he, he doesn't take offense if I'm direct in the email. And we, I got him on the phone. And I said, you know, and he said, you know, I realized they didn't ask a real good question. I said, no, no, that's fine. But I said, the more important thing is think of it this way. I said, you're being influenced by what Kramer says. And there was this pause like, oh, shit. I didn't even think of it that way. It's like, yeah. So what you want to think of, you want to get to the point where, in theory, Kramer should be calling you for your assessment of the market. I don't care what Jim says about his opinion on whether we're going up or going down or going sideways. I can look at a chart and figure that out on my own. And if I can't figure it out, I'm not going to trade. I'll wait for it to tell me what direction it's going, and then I'll look to jump on once it's established a direction. But all you got to do is pay attention to the charts. <clears throat> you know, we've been on a rise on the S&P since mid-March, right, when the weeklies crossed up. And some of you have sent me notes over the past couple of months saying you've gotten clobbered. And then I've gotten notes from other people saying that you're killing it. For the people that got clobbered, their confidence got challenged. And what happened is many of them sent in their note and their you know notes and phone calls to me, but the media says reflect recession. 
inflation, layoffs, inflation, layoffs in tech, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and they let their emotions get caught up in the cycle of bad news events. You gotta understand good news doesn't make you click. Used to say, you know, good, you know, bad news doesn't sell newspaper. Good news doesn't sell newspapers. Not selling newspapers, say now it's click. Good news doesn't get you to click. <clears throat> bad news gets you to click. And then reading the bad news and internalizing it, and now getting results that are going against what the charts are saying, that's hurting their confidence. But now you have the other side of the coin, the ones who are doing well. Their confidence is getting a boost. But now here's something to think about. <clears throat> of those two groups, which one should refocus on their chart reading and their emotions? Now, most people would say, well, it's the ones who got clobbered. No argument. They're definitely missing something. But I would argue that the group that's killing it, they're the ones who can gain the most value by intently studying their emotions. They're currently in a state of success, of confidence, of comfort. And now they have an optimism bias. You got to watch out for becoming overconfident. Because if that happens, then you tend to lose focus on the rules. You get loose with them. It's also known as a recency effect, right? People put more weight on what's happened recently. If you get a string of winners, you, know, you think you're the greatest of all time. You're the GOAT. Everything is going great. You get a string of losers, you think they're the world's worst. How do you clear that when either one of those happen? And both of those are going to happen to all of us many times. But how do you clear it? <clears throat> the way to clear it is you always have a sense of urgency. I don't mean jump and rush into a trade. Urgency in that you need to you need to treat this seriously. Wen tells the story when he went to see Resnick. He looked at Wen and said, I did not expect this to happen so soon. He did not expect to get a diagnosis of, a, of cancer of the adrenal glands. Right? Do not be casual about this. You don't have as much time as you think you do. Got to open your eyes. It's part of the life cycle. All right, let's see what we got in the handouts here. <clears throat> Here's my disclaimer. Uh, we're going to be talking about specific charts today. Um, we are not giving advice, not registered agents, none of that stuff. One thing we got to watch out for, when actually is a registered investment advisor? He definitely is not giving advice. You know, Lamb, Lamb held a license for a number of years. I did as well. We don't hold them anymore, but we treat it as if we still do. We are not giving buy-sell advice. There's no recommendation. We're not selling anything. Go do, the, go do the study on your own. If you're not sure what to do, talk to a registered advisor that knows what you're trying to do. You listening to when doesn't count. He doesn't know what you, many of you look like. <clears throat> this is stri strictly to be education. Uh, what else? I think that's it. You've seen this before. If you're unsure, please read it. <clears throat> Here's what we're going to talk about today. See a whole bunch of stuff. Only 121 pages. We should be done by eh, 7 o'clock, maybe 8, maybe 9. We'll see. <clears throat> so we're now one month into the summer season. And by now, you should have finalized or be really close to finalizing your list of long-term holdings so that now you're ready to go shopping if and when we have a sale in the summer. 
talked about this before in that there isn't much of a catalyst after earnings that happen in April and May. And so you expect lower trading volume as we go into the summer. If it hasn't happened already, Bob Pisani on CNBC will come on at one point and say, folks, the volume is down. There's no volume. He says it every year like it's a big deal. He's been saying it that he's been saying that over and over and over for decades. <clears throat> You're going to see rhythmic moves in the market. They tend to be shorter in duration. Now, there's always exceptions, but go back in history and you'll see that. <clears throat> if you go back over the last 23 years, looking at the S&P in June, you'll see there it's either it's been a doji or a red candle month. Exception on that is 2012. Also, there can be a, for lack of a better word, a back-to-school retail trade. And usually, it, it can start as early as the latter part of June. It ends by early September. Typically, the, mo the move shows up in July or August. <clears throat> and so you want to watch for situations where you may have retailers lining up with that mid-July historical rally. Hey, when are you on? You got to unmute. Or do I need to unmute you? Yeah, I'm here, Chris. There you go. You want to uh, flip it over to you? Yeah, no problem. If I flip it over to you, you want to show June on your chart? You can step through it. Uh, yeah, we can do that. Cool, you want cool. to talk about the June market behavior? Yes, exactly. Okay. 